Well, you know, the fact is that it, it, uh, when, when the film was first released, um, it made money. It actually, it cost us about 117000 and uh, it made about 700000 in the first year in those drive-ins and neighborhood theaters and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we said, wow, this is an easy business. Then it went away. I mean, it just disappeared. And then one day, somebody discovered that there was no copyright on the film because we had our title, our original title was Night of the Flesh Eaters. And we stupidly, as young filmmakers, put, a, put the copyright bug, the little C with the circle around it, on the title, on the title card. And when they changed the title, that bug came off. And all of a sudden, there was no copyright. They didn't notice, we didn't notice, nobody noticed, you know. It was one of those things that just, one of those, the one that got away. And all of a sudden, there was no copyright on the film. So, you know, the moment that people realized that, I, I, everybody was selling it on VHS, and, you know, everybody could release it without having to pay any royalties or anything else. And that's, that's really the journey of that film. Then all of a sudden, the French discovered it. This, uh, 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 a magazine called Cahier du Cinema, uh, which you may know, wrote this huge article about it being am amazing, uh, important American cinema. And I wasn't thinking of it as that at all. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. Hi. Hi. We are back in person this week after a very long delay, talking about George A. Romero back in the news. We talked about Dawn of the Dead way back on episode five. Wow. Zombie mania. Wow. Long time ago. But we were inspired this week by the recently rediscovered, restored, and released 1973 film, The Amusement Park, which has an amazing history. We're going to get to that. Um, but The Amusement Park is now on Shudder, or you can watch it on Prime if you have the AMC or Shudder add-on, and was recently screened right here in Portland, Maine, and will be screened at the upcoming 5th Annual Salem Horror Fest, which we are now a proud sponsor of. Uh, the Romero Foundation from Pittsburgh is bringing uh, a program to the Salem Horror Fest, which will include the amusement park and also Night of the Living Dead, which we are going to talk about this week. Go to SalemHorror.com. It's the first two weeks in October. We're going to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's start at the start this week with Night of the Living Dead. Kevin, I assume you are well-versed in this film. Yes. Night of the Living Dead, 1968, George A. Romero's debut film. And this is what gave us the Americanized version of zombies. You have a very basic setup. You have a brother and sister going to visit the grave of their deceased father. And they end up encountering a zombie. Barbara, they're coming to get you, by the way. 
She ends up in a house. You have seven characters that end up in a house fighting off hordes of zombies. It's literally one of the most landmark horror films of all time. Definitely the landmark American zombie film. I probably hadn't seen this in decades. And, you know, Dave and I were talking earlier. I don't really have like a consistent memory of this movie of like a time I watch it all the way through or how it made me feel. I just have, it's just, it's pounded into your head as a horror fan that this is like the seminal movie. So I think you sort of just walk through life as a horror fan, assuming it, it, it is, unless you're like a hardcore disciple of Romero or of, of night of the living dead. So I sat down and watched it and I was very curious about watching this through the podcast lens and holy shit, this movie's phenomenal. Mm. Every, everything that everyone says about it is 100% true. It is still scary. I don't know how. Like, it, it honestly, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is my favorite. And I still watch that in the, in, in the middle of the day on a beautiful summer afternoon, and Texas Chainsaw still scares me. Night of the Living Dead scared me. Like, it was unsettling. And even some of the old-timey stuff that we talk about, like, especially when, like, they start cutting to, like, news clips or, like, the townies get involved. And they're like, oh, we're going to get them. Hey, you got to burn them real quick. <laughs> even that stuff, like, didn't bother me. Um, but I, I just literally didn't remember how, or, or maybe I never fully appreciated how good this movie is. And uh, from the opening sequence all the way to the shocking finale and I definitely never appreciated like the documentary style that it is which mm. you know you see a, a lot of interviews and a lot of the history of the film and how it was first consumed and reacted to by audiences like this is like a War of the Worlds type thing where they had to throw in on some viewings of this like that this is a movie because they were worried that people were going to see the news footage that Romero cut in and be like holy shit this is really happening right now mm. Um, all the way to, I mean, forget about, well, I'm sure, Trent, you, you especially will get into it, like the political implications, the societal implications, the classism, even the racism, all plays in. And I definitely did not remember the absolutely shocking ending. So this movie, I'm so happy. I don't know why it took us so long, but thankfully it did. And we have a more refined show now. So hopefully we'll have a more refined conversation about this legendary film. Mm. Um, yeah, I know. It's a toss up. Uh, <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah. But yes, um, I thought I knew about this film. I think it's one of those things you can totally take for granted. Uh, I will not from now on and I will forever fly the flag of Night of the Living Dead and George Romero. Uh, there's a reason this movie is the classic OG zombie movie. It establishes all those tropes, gives you exactly what you need, and in the perfect amount of time. Um, it might feel it kind of you know feels a little slow going comparatively, I guess, like to you know modern horror for sure. Um, that comes out now that we talk about, but it still hits all the buttons for me for a classic horror film. It shows how shitty humans are to each other when they're scared and in danger. It has some gore. I'd like some more, to be honest. But it's got some jump scares. It's got that one moment that just completely destroys you and is so upsetting and heartbreaking. Um, I also love that it had it has its like dark, comedic moments. I think my favorite quote was from the wife to the shitty uh, Cooper dude or, what, or whatever his name yeah. is. Um 
She she says, we may not enjoy living together, but dying together isn't going to solve anything. <laughs> and in that moment, I was like, yeah, girl, get it. Um, I obviously love Ben's character. He's a badass. He doesn't take no shit. Um, I think he was the only intelligent one that was in that house, to be honest. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by the lack I felt of racism towards his character, specifically from Dickhead Cooper. Um, I thought maybe it could have been a lot worse, and I was kind of like anticipating that on my rewatch. Um, but great film, great characters, great acting. Loved the black and white. Loved the zombie child. Just a classic film that I was very excited to rewatch and talk about. I absolutely love this movie. This is on HBO Max right now, the black and white version. It's also free on Peacock. It's free on Vudu. You can watch this uh, on YouTube for free. You can rent it on a number of the, the, the main platforms, but a lot of them are the colorized version. I don't know if any of you guys came across that. I, I watched the original black and white on HBO Max, and I watched the colorized version later just for kicks um, because I hadn't seen that one before. And I don't know. I mean, that's fine. But this is, to me, arguably the dawn of what we think of now as new horror, along with a couple other movies from that era. There were certainly movies before this, one of them being the 1964 movie called The Flesh Eaters, mm. which this movie was originally called Night of the Flesh Eaters, and the distributor, I believe, made them change the name oh. so that it wouldn't be confused with that. To a tragic to a tragic effect. From 1964. <laughs> I have never seen that, but that's supposed to be, like, along with Blood Feast, one of the early like kind of splatter gore movies i guess the flesh eaters has a lot of gore in it so they changed the title to night of the living dead and in doing so accidentally removed the copyright seal from the title and this movie went immediately into the public domain because of that i <laughs> guess it's kind of weird i yeah. think it's still in the public domain you can buy it is you can watch the if you pay for this movie like, yeah. you should just, like, immediately go punch yourself in the you face. You can, like, buy it at the dollar <laughs> store on DVD because of that, which seems weird to me. Like, how would they not figure that out by now? I, I don't know the ins and outs of, of copyright law, but this movie is well, so it, good. So, yeah. I'm sorry. It changed after this. Copyright right. law changed hardcore. Like, IP rights and all that changed a lot after Night of the Living Dead, but this was pre those laws, so they were screwed. This was a big success at the time. It was made for like $115,000. It made a ton of money at the drive-ins. It made a ton of money in Europe. People really picked this up overseas as being this amazing social commentary. And it's funny, when you when you watch interviews with George Romero, he kind of dispels some of the myths. There were a lot of happy accidents in this movie. And Kat, you mentioned there not being a lot of outward spoken racism to Ben, the main character played by Dwayne Jones. The reason for that is that this role, um, this whole movie was written for a, a white guy was supposed to be Ben, but Dwayne Jones was the best actor that they knew. And Romero talks about this in lots of interviews on YouTube. This is kind of like an American movie situation where these were all um, either friends 
or they were local playhouse actors and just kind of this whole like gang of people who got together and outside of Pittsburgh and wanted to make this movie. So you didn't have a whole lot of professionals and they thought that Dwayne Jones was just the best actor they had so that he should play the lead role. And they didn't change any of the screenplay to to fit the, the racial change. So all of that stuff that becomes so much more powerful now and are some of the things that lend such legendary status to this. And even, even now watching this, having seen it so many times, like, you know, this is a movie that TMC or AMC or the, or TBS or the cable TV channels would run for a a 24 hour loop on Halloween. I mean, I've seen Mm -hmm. it so many times I can't even count, but even now watching this, particularly the, the conclusion is so much more powerful because of that racial element. But I think it's a great example of the happy accidents that happen when people are just pursuing their craft and pursuing their art and their dream as hard as they can. And just like trying to do the best job they can those those accidents happen and i think that really speaks to the whole you know we talked in when we talked about american movie we talked about that sort of guerrilla style underground independent filmmaking and when you really believe in something that much and you try that hard and you you're just kind of catch as catch can and doing whatever you can you know you you never know what can happen in that process and i i think this movie particularly is a, a testament to that in that some of those some of the most powerful things about the movie weren't even intended and, and that's what helps it uh, I think in part stand the test of time I hadn't really um, seen this movie I had been more exposed to this movie through being a horror fan like you guys were talking about the iconic images that you see it's a classic and uh, you know I didn't really I, I did take it for granted like Kevin was saying um, and I watched it this time, just purely focused in on the movie and the dialogue. I absolutely love the dialogue. Um, but to me, I realized that Romero is like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is my number one top movie of all time for horror movies. And you have Texas Chainsaw Massacre versus the rest of Toby Hooper's catalog. And I kind of feel like Night of the Living Dead is the same way with Romero because the guerrilla style that they did in this and uh, just the way it's done and how raw it is, is better uh, than maybe what he would go on to do. I was not a fan of Dawn of the Dead. I I lambasted that (laughs) zombie mania. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, and we did watch like the full uncut uh, two and, and a half hour yeah. Free yeah, YouTube version. YouTube, so that yeah. was a little action, that was a little movie <laughs> version. <laughs> yeah, it was a little punishing. Um, but <laughs> I liked. I didn't expect this to be, um, like there's there's just a tone that is set w- when watching this movie that supersedes like that the cover imagery and the poster art and any clips you might see. Uh, just sitting down from beginning to end and taking this movie in uh, is amazing. And I and I love the fact that it was cast with no prejudice and no, not even thinking about um, who should, you know, play the lead, but the best person for the role. Uh, And that's like, you know, it says a lot that when we watch it now, uh, a movie from 68, it's almost kind of a shock. It seems so progressive. Uh, And I like that he just did it because he really didn't care. And I think that that's really 
the way everyone wants to be treated. They want to be judged on their merits and their hard work and not who they're in love with or how they identify or what their their the ethnicity is. You know what I mean? They're they're an artist on their own. And I love that George, George Romero uh, did that in this movie. And it is like super heavy at the end uh, when you think about, you know, I, I don't really worry about spoiling this, although I was actually kind of surprised by the ending. I, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for it. Um, and I didn't, I didn't remember the ending, but it's just this mob mentality that ruins all the hard work that someone did mm-hmm. trying to like have their wits about them. And it just shows that most people are like Cooper, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. and not enough people are like Ben, but I really love this movie. I found it to be very poignant and like way more than a zombie movie. And it started everything, you know? This was like the, I was imagining watching this, what it must have been like to just see these people on screen, like out of their mind and ravenous for the first time. And it was cool that they were slow, Later on, slow zombies became a parody of themselves. But in this, they were perfect. Yeah, I thought that was one of the one of the most creepy things about the zombies was the fact that they are slow and they're dim-witted and they're not that strong. You know, Romero is is on record all over the place. It's saying, a little inconsistent there, but but carry on. Well, they're not that. Well, they talk about that in the movie. There's a debate between Ben and Mr. Cooper about how strong they are. And Ben is saying they're not that strong. I've taken out several of them. And Mr. Cooper is saying, well, they turned over my car. And Ben says, yeah, well, five people can turn over a car. That doesn't really evidence any particular strength. And you do have them in this movie, which I thought was something I didn't really remember. You have them using tools, which you don't always see in zombie movies where they pick up rocks. And they, they're a little bit more intelligent. Like That's like one of the dividing lines with, with primitive uh, humankind is when they start to use tools. We talked about that when we talked about 2001 back on the uh, horror in space episode. I didn't remember that element as much. Uh, there's even a point where a zombie picks up a spade, which which we'll talk about, and murders someone toward the end. They pick up one of the um, table legs that Dwayne had used as a torch. They pick that up. So there are some moments of intelligence that I think betray the idea that they're, but I just thought that that was creepy that they were so slow and it's a little bit of a different feel than the fast zombie. I don't care. I like fast zombies. I don't care about that at all. Um, I didn't realize that this was based largely on I am legend. Yeah. The 1954 novel, but it makes perfect sense. And that's been made as soon as you read it. You're like, Oh yeah. Yeah, that's been made into three different movies. There's the one that I know with with Will Smith from, Mm. I think it was 2009. But there are earlier versions of that as well. It was more of like a vampire treatment. But this was um, released before there was an MPAA. There was no rating system. And that was one of the things that was was big about this because they showed it at drive-ins and they showed it at matinees. A lot of uh, kids went. Roger Roger Ebert has a legendary review of this movie. Yeah. He was in the theater and children were crying and freaking out because this movie was released one month before the MPAA came in and started actually reviewing movies. And and as we know now, we've (laughs) talked about with like gremlins and stuff. You know, even then it was like G. Uh, I think like PG and like R. So this obviously would have been R, but Ebert's, if you, you can go online and find Roger Ebert's original review of this movie and it's scathing. It's, it's actually a pretty powerful review because he is recounting actual 
living through children sitting next to him and freaking out. And I'm sorry, it's called Night of the Living Dead. And the posters were pretty obviously like horror. So like, why would you bring like your five-year-old to that? Because you, because they used to show a lot of these horror movies at matinees. They were daytime stuff a lot of times. And it was like Dracula and Frankenstein and things like this. Like pretty pedestrian stuff. You, you okay, didn't necessarily sure. see intestine wars. It reminded me of <laughs> Censor when she talks about, when Enid and Censor talks about, I left the intestine war in. This movie has an intestine yeah. war. Yeah. That was the, the first time a lot of people were exposed to that, and these were kids at the matinee. So fair, I legendary. Can see that. But but getting back into Ben, so I, I do want to debate a little bit, maybe later on in the conversation, like Ben having his wits about him, and Cooper not, because there are some decisions made that it's very interesting what Romero did. It might have been a happy accident, like Trent says, but Ben's decisions don't always end up better than what Cooper was yelling about. I agree. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think it point. was his demeanor. I also love the fact, you know, that you guys are talking about how Dwayne Jones was just cast because he was the best actor. But when you talk about the script, the original script had called for Ben to be a dumb truck driver. Right. A complete idiot. And Dwayne Jones was an established theater actor and came in and completely change it. So some of the producers on the film will still to this day, which Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Jones died very young, I think in the 80s. I think he was only like in his 50s um, of a heart condition. And they speak of him so glowingly and how he is the one that came in and completely transformed the character of Ben and changed a lot of the dialogue on the fly because he was a very well-spoken theatrical actor and said, didn't want to play a dumb truck driver. Mm -hmm. So again, that's another like very progressive thing, like you said, Dave, like where you're casting somebody and you're letting them completely change your script. And I think it also fits in with how Trent's saying this movie is literally one happy accident. And also, I mean, just for the record, I don't know about, I think Trent, I'm, I'm getting a vibe from Trent that he is like deeply entrenched in this movie and remembers it maybe better than most of us. Not really. I don't think so. Okay. So like for a I horror podcast. kind of vibe? For, for, <laughs> well, I don't know. I just got the vibe that maybe he like watched it more often. But for a horror podcast that talks about like knowing horror movies, I feel like we were all caught off guard this week. I in, was. like, wait, I don't actually know Night of the Living Dead that well. Mm -hmm. Like, I can quote Shaun of the Dead more than I can quote Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> I was thinking when you were saying that the living dead part of it uh, was changed from flesh eaters, that change right there was like a huge part of history. Like mm -hmm. some like yeah. pencil pusher at, you know. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, the distribution company was like, ah, oh, just make it living dead. And they actually made horror mm. totally different. Like, how many mm -hmm. living dead and it, are there. right but also it was it literally it was just like like when the title card came up it would it would have said night of the flesh eaters copyright whatever that production company was and right. when the distributor was like no we don't like that change it to night of the living dead they just forgot to put that little graphic on it and it changed the financial history of this movie and mm -hmm. George Romero's life because like Trent said it was made for like $114,000 and it made 30 million Wow. At the box office in in the nineteen late nineteen sixties, that would be the equivalent to still being made for under one million dollars today, and it would have made two hundred and thirty million dollars at the box office. We're talking like Blair wow. Witch, Paranormal Activity, like mm -hmm. act, like well, action I mean, here. Yeah, that's even. This is even bigger. 
Well, I would agree with you, Kevin, in that I feel like I've been the Romero stan on the show. Mm. Fair. Now, not every George A. Romero movie is that great. I'm nope. not a huge fan of a lot of the later catalog, but that's one of the reasons I have been a stan is because of this movie is so goddamn good. It's so undeniable that, you know, that that's always, you know, I'll always tribute doing something like this, and I still obviously love Dawn of the Dead as well, but th there has been a lot of inconsistent work in the catalog, so now you, you're so many years removed that it becomes just a title to a lot of people, and there's been so many remakes and so many reimaginings and various sequels that have had little or nothing to do with it, so, you know, over the years, you kind of, like, forget about this little black-and-white movie from 1968 and that's been in the public commons for however long, so I would, I would agree with that. It's funny, when you mentioned 2001, that reminded me that that movie came out in 68, too, so what yeah. a weird oh, wow. year, and, and how different they are, like, this is very low production, this is very uh, Coven-esque, in in you know in <laughs> coven it is but it's yeah this this it's is very, like the this is the coven that could yeah you know what I mean because 2001 came out the same year Northwestern. just think of how amazing that looks but Romero had done some professional stuff before this he worked on the Mr Rogers that's where he came mind up. blowing yeah he mind came up blowing he I watched an interview with him where he said that he kept in touch with Fred Rogers and that. Uh, Fred had seen both this and Dawn of the Dead and that they, he was asked if, if Fred liked them and, and George said that he uh, appreciated them and Aww. he understood what he was trying to do. Romero, <laughs> Romero tried to cast somebody from Mr. Rogers, a, oh, really? a female actress, <laughs> and Fred Rogers said no. Oh, You can't go do that. Wow. <laughs> wow. Hey, it's Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, I man. mean, yeah, you listen to Fred. Yeah, you got to keep your history clean. Kat, had you true. seen this in full before this week? I had, but like so long ago, like definitely like on cable, and so I I knew the ending. I wasn't shocked by that. I was just very upset again, you know, on the second or third watch, just being like, oh, like I know what's about to happen. Those images, and I just oh, oh it's my God. but you just go through this whole movie just being Team Ben and just knowing that despite all of the things that he tries to do, it's just not. You know, the the mob mentality shows up and just destroys it without without a, any second thought. You know, kind of a situation. But you know, what can you do? I did like I liked um, that we kind of had a semi answer as to why the zombies were there because I feel like that's left out. Like some like I forgot some, all yeah. about that too. Yeah, I forgot all about that because it's different. Because all like because it wasn't you know some f virus. It wasn't some right. you know blah blah. blah. It was from like satellite like ooh. so technically <laughs> this is also an alien film uh, yes. but i thought I, I forgot about that part so that was interesting and I, and I liked the whole like news team like you know asking you know the sheriff they're like well what do you think and they're like well i can't really say but then the scientist is like actually uh no it was the radiation from this that did it and the sheriff's like no, no we haven't decided that yet no fake yeah. news fake, fake news. news it's fake news <laughs> Very topical. If yeah, you will. Th this is as relevant as ever. Mm -hmm. it, between like between COVID oh, and you know what? And we, MAGA. Keep, we keep saying that, <laughs> and it makes me so sad how every week we talk about how this is as relevant as ever because it just reminds yeah. me we have not progressed as a country <laughs> oh, no. at all. Absolutely not at all. Right? Yeah, I mean, and that was one of the reasons 
I think that contributed to some of the notice that this movie got at the time. By the time it was released, both um, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X had both been assassinated before this was in theater. They were making it while while that right. happened. I think right. Romero was literally on the way to see the first screening of it. When yes, they were looking for MLK distribution. Jr. You know, and I mean, I'm I'm home now. I'm so happy to be home, and for yeah, all of us to be in the home. same room. I'm living in Memphis right now. I recently did the Civil Rights Museum and stood in the hotel room where Martin Luther King walked out on that balcony and was shot. And it's it was one of the most impactful things that I've ever done in my life is to tour that Civil Rights Museum. And it was so interesting to see how Romero, again, it wasn't on his mind. A lot of people tried to tie this to it, and Romero was simply saying... I did not write this character black, did not write him for any color. It wasn't white right. or anything. I cast Dwayne Jones because he was the best actor available. And then I let Dwayne Jones mold that character however it was. I mean, that's pretty rare in 1968. It is. It's still it radical, right, even though he wasn't trying to be radical. In the civil rights movement, right. like for that to be happening, yeah. I mean, he wasn't, play, he wasn't doing A lot of people could look back and be like oh he was doing it as a gimmick or anything like i love the honesty of it and i believe yeah, it go watch same. romero talk about it if you don't believe it i believe him it's all over yeah. youtube he could easily say that yeah I, you know he could go along with that and he's very honest about it yeah. like that wasn't on my mind but that's part again of like that's what happens when you're when you're really pursuing you know your passions and, and you're trying to do the best thing you can do is that now, when you watch this movie, you can't count the number of relevant things. You know, like yeah. everything, seem, it seems very immediate. Just, I think, just that's just the nature of uh, of the unbridled passion. Yeah, but to have, have have gone and seen what was happening at that time, and then to watch this film, and to have have like researched both of those things and experienced them, um, it makes this movie like it makes me appreciate this movie and Romero even more. Even though he had like this huge, like whether it's accidental or on purpose, this really powerful ending for whoever's watching or whatever they've been through or whatever. If you want to make like timeless music, you have to make music that doesn't uh, touch upon things in the in what's happening right now in your generation or your when you're living. You have to do things that are always going to affect people. There are always going to be things that people react to. And he stuck this landing so hard when the whole thing was zombies. Think of every zombie movie you've ever seen. The zombie bites the other person, then they're a zombie, and you have more zombies, and it gets more and more and more and more. And how do you end this? And there's some very bad endings of zombie movies. Hmm. He came out of the gate and really like wrapped this, this up perfect. Is so good. Uh, yeah. I mean, Train to Busan, I think, sticks the landing. I mean, there's still zombies. You have Prob no closure. Yeah, probably. Oh, this this one like, too, as I well. Guess, and and like you were saying, Trent, like slow. Uh, you guys were talking about slow zombies. We had the kid element. We have certain things like he established all of the rules for zombie movies, like not American zombie movies, but now it's gone into other regions and like you know South Korea is making Train to Busan and some of these great movies. But I think that's what made the remake of Dawn of the Dead so powerful. Like when Zack Snyder came out the gate with the Dawn remake and you have that opening sequence, the classic opening sequence, and you see the zombies sprinting mm. and they're strong. Like that was immediately like, oh shit, you just like 
totally flipped the script on like a Romero, like you're fucking with the Romero movie and Romero rules. And I like it. Mm. The Return of the Living Dead has the best ending. In yeah. my opinion, they just nuke the world. So that, <laughs> that's in, the best. It's ending. interesting. <laughs> so, so that was Russo, who was a co-writer and on Night of the Living Dead. And after that, they have, uh, there's so many accounts of this movie and what happened, and so many different versions. Yeah. But allegedly, Russo and Romero were like, "We want to continue our franchises," and. Russo got Return of the Living Dead, which we've talked about, like uh, Dan O'Bannon, writer of Alien, went on to like write and direct Return of the Living Dead and, and start that franchise. Romero went on to do uh, Day of the Dead, uh, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. And I, I thought it was really interesting that at the same time that Return of the Living Dead was coming out, Ru- uh, Romero was trying to put out Day of the Dead. And they actually got into like a little bit of legal action with each other. Um, and, and there's some rumor out there that like Romero could keep like like of the dead or something, and Russo could keep living dead. Right. And yeah, it gets it's, into it's that. So right. weird. Like it's <laughs> you. You could you can go down a rabbit hole. Right. I kind of like it when things spiral out of control like that with copyrights and stuff. Yeah. Because sometimes you end up with these like linear movies that are happening that are kind of based on the same thing, but then they split off with the different people that worked on them and they do sequels and weird versions. And they just kind of like, that's I think that's why zombies got so out of control. It's probably because of the copyright of, exactly. of the living yes. dead. Anybody could <laughs> yeah. attach anything to this movie and call it, there were, I yeah. mean, there were Italian movies that got renamed to, to make them Zombie more Two was supposed to be like a sequel. Zombie, right. Was, oh, right. Zombie was supposed to be uh, Night of the Living Dead Two. Yeah. So in America, it was released as Zombie, but in like Italy, it was Zombie Two, because Night of the Living Dead in Italy was released as Zombie. I'm, I'm, what what we're about already, we're, 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 we're podcast here, of the Living Dead? <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the ending. Apparently, that was one of the reasons that they had a hard time getting major distribution because people didn't like the ending. The studios wanted the Hollywood ending. And Romero says that everybody stuck to their guns and everybody refused to give the happy Hollywood ending, So, which now is one of the things that makes it so memorable and so powerful. I didn't realize, I guess, that uh, according to Romero, this was a, a three-part short story. And the second part was Dawn of the Dead, and the third part was Day of the Dead, which we haven't talked about from 85. I love all three of them, but apparently he had them all together as a short story, and it makes sense when you think about now. So you have the this, this being the first installment, and then Dawn of the Dead, they go to the mall, and then Day of the Dead, they're at the military base. And that was kind of all one one conceived thing, so he even though there's like 10 years between the first two and five years or six years between the second, he had that all kind of mapped out in his mind, which makes a lot of sense to me, but it's still amazing. I mean, they run through, if you think about it, like zombies equal capitalism, mm. uh, cannibalism equals capitalists like at their worst, like eating the final part of right. the middle class and the poor, like lots of, our, I, I did not just come up with that by myself. I've read lots of articles where they <laughs> compare this, like they politicize this this movie or these movies, the trilogy. The zombies are MAGA. Can we agree that the zombies are anti-vax MAGA? Yes. Uh, I mean, Obviously. Today, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. I am not going to shy away from Well, not that. to get too political about it, but I thought that so people died situation. poorly in this. 
Yeah. They died before Eddie would touch them in some instances. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. uh, you know, exactly. Like, they were like, ah, they're dying, and the hands then so come that, over the door. That's yeah. what I was getting at when I said some of Ben's decisions were questionable. The, I would, the gas I would run, like to talk about the that The gas as well. run yeah. with Tom, and I think it's Judy, her name was, that you're talking about? Tom's girlfriend? Judy, yes. Judy. Yes, Ju- Tom and I, I get Judy. it mixed up because Judith O'Day plays Barbara. Yeah, but, no, it's Tom and Judy. Judy is Tom's girlfriend in the movie, and they and Ben makes a pretty questionable decision to yes, go on does. a gas run. Mm. Well, that that's the thing is at the end of the movie, because a, a central conflict of this movie, and we talked about this when we talked about Werewolves Within, if you look at all the deaths of the seven people who are trapped in this house, they're doing more damage to one another. Once again, this happens all the time in horror movies. They end up doing more damage to one another than the outside threat that they're all like so wound up about. And the conflict in the movie is about how they're going to handle the outside threat. These zombies are pretty lame. But, but before you know it, the people inside the house, they're fighting about whether they should be in the basement, whether they should be upstairs, who is in charge, whether they should run, what they should do. They're listening to the radio. It reminded me of people that criticize like Dr. Fauci and whatever for initially saying that masks weren't that effective. But then things change and you learn more in the movie. It, at first, they say they say you should stay in your home barricade that's what they do but then later they get the tv going and now that's changed you should run for it you should try to get out of there we have rescue centers mm-hmm. and so that whole thing changes and by the end um the last time i watched it i was wondering like if they had just stayed in the basement like cooper, like cooper was said, advising right. cooper said and how does how does ben escape staying in the basement he barricades himself into the basement <laughs> oh. yeah it's true <laughs> yeah Maybe it just shows the, you know, the unlikable character, you know, doesn't, isn't heard. You know? I think that's a good point because. And Snyder again brings that back in the Dawn of the Dead remake where like the mall cop that you absolutely hate at the beginning actually makes some really good decisions and sacrifices at the end. Mm. Still a dick. Cooper's still a dick. Yeah. That dude's a dick. And by the way. He was one of the producers. A lot of the actors oh. in this movie yeah, were also I know. producers. I love that. Who, who became, <laughs> by the way, qu- I'm using air quotes, producers by paying $600 to fund the initial starting That's of amazing. Night of the Living Dead. See, I, I think that Night of the Living Dead, Halloween, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre are the original, like, jumping points for everything we watch now. And they were all done on shoestring budgets. They're like the grimy, uh, it's like, uh, the Stooges album, you know, it's just like classic and raw, and that's why it's amazing. This is so grainy. It's almost like documentary style. It, it really, it's almost like found footage. It Even for sixty-eight, that's a great call. Found yeah. footage. But the reality aspect with the with, like I said, and again, not to keep bringing it back to Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, the TV footage and like the 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 news footage yeah. is used so that. effectively, yeah. and like. You know, Snyder, like, refines it, obviously, for, like, his, I think, 2004 remake, and it's great. Uh, He's got, like, the Johnny Cash song. Like, he's got Johnny Cash in the background. And this one, uh, the soundtrack is phenomenal on Night of the Living Dead. And the way they use it and the way they cut it out where there's no sound and it's just literally, like, mic audio, 
but like the news footage is so old timey like we talked mm-hmm. about like where like the news reporter's like well listen here we've just discovered that you know yeah, uh, was, it was radiation or a space <laughs> we found that you should burn the bodies burn them immediately and it's like Trent, to your point, like Fauci, it's like, what if we just burned everyone with COVID instantly <laughs> when they were diagnosed? Like, uh, but all said. of it is used so well, and it was never done before. Like, mm-hmm. we forget well, it's 1968. None of this the, was the done before. The thing I was wondering about is, especially about this whole idea of society imploding when bad things happen and people, you know, just making their bad choices, did Hitchcock ever touch on that kind of thing or was this the first time that happened and like twilight zone those are the only things i was thinking about like maybe uh this isn't the beginning of some of this stuff that i'm giving it credit for uh i mean maybe this was the first time it was done in like a feature level twilight zone i think you're onto something there but that was 22 minute episodes or something the thing is every time you think something was the first time of something it's not it's never the fr- like mm. you always think like oh this well, was the first legend. time yeah this was already or done in a novel 10, Haitian 15 folklore years prior was yeah. the first zombies there's always things you you can never really get to that I mean things are done everyone influences everyone and so it, it's hard to parse you know what is the first for this and what is the first for that I think there are a lot of firsts in this and obviously a lot of things that have shaped everything after Kevin you talked about the radio broadcast and then they get the tv going i love when movies still do that when you have to have it It starts right in the beginning in the car there's a scene with, with uh, johnny and barb at the cemetery turns it off right before I he would have that. gotten I mean, very critical information like, uh, yes. yeah now that would be like twitter you'd be like like oh you're seeing the latest reports or whatever there's always that sort of like the reports coming from outside of where you are but it, there's a warm feel when they do that with the radio and tv i like that night of the living dead you can watch it everywhere. Yeah, this is free pretty much everywhere now. I mean, uh, you can you can pay for various versions, but I don't I don't love the colorized one as much. But I didn't mind it. The ninety two ninety two remake with uh, or nineteen ninety remake with Tom, Tom Savini. Savini directing it. Yeah, oh. I, ne- I didn't watch that, but I almost watched it by accident. I, I never <laughs> knew this. I was trying to find this. I never knew this, but allegedly Savini was supposed to do the effects on this one. Whoa. And Romero had met him and contacted him. And Savini apparently was um, like an army photographer. So he was in Vietnam when they were filming oh. this. Wow. So we forget this was also going on in Vietnam, if you want to get even deeper into like, you know, I, know, the, I the, We the need to do an episode about, about Tom Savini because the fact that he comes from Vietnam and then makes these movies that he makes in this like gore that's very realistic. Army photographer in Vietnam. That's scary. And then he would come back and direct the 1990 remake. Mm. Um, Have you seen it? It's been a long time. I did not get a a time to rewatch it. Do you remember liking it? I do remember liking, I do remember liking it. Um, (laughs) What I remember most about it, I was telling Trent earlier, is that the character of Barbara is a badass instead of Barbara in this one, Mm. where it's like, they're coming to get you, Barbara. Mm. And she's just petrified the entire film. In in Savini's version, she is like a fucking powerhouse. Well, I think one of the enduring, one of the many enduring things in the setup and the plot of this movie is that, that question that we all have all the time to me, I'm always asking myself this question, is it better, are you better off to just stay put 
and be as uh, fortified as you can where you are. You're safe for the moment. You've got some food. You've got some supplies. Are you better off just staying there, or should you try to run for help? Should you try to get out of there? even reminded me a little bit of The Reef, which isn't a movie that you might think of connected to this movie, but that that's like ever since this movie, that's been a Should I stay or should I go? The temporary security that you seem to have, or you think you might have, is that worth fighting for and holding on to? Or should you try to do something better than that? Maybe there's a better something out well, there. Well, this is yeah. to do with the, the story writing thing you're talking about, the time. Mm-hmm. The time of the, of the tale versus, what is it, Trent? Say it. The time of the tale versus the time of the telling, and this is another example. Mm. First feature film, he's only trying to cover a day. One night. Yeah. That's but, right. Not but if you need it. to know these things, if there is a zombie apocalypse, is it a mild zombie apocalypse that they got contained and you just hide out until it's over? Yeah. Or do you got to go somewhere? Are we going to Italy right now because that's the only place that's safe? That, that's what pretty much every movie of this ilk they're all based on that central kind of conflict even like the walking dead yeah they're always debating we should stay here we have supplies you know yeah, yeah. but when you think about you know dawn of the dead like they had supplies they were holed up for so long and then finally they're like we just can't do it anymore we right. can't handle each other like they had right. it all figured out and they were gonna be fine but then they're like yeah but I'm bored now. <laughs> well, we look so at the, we, look leave. at look at COVID. They have TV. Look at yeah. COVID. <laughs> look at how many look at how many states couldn't handle COVID, and we're like, no, we're fine. We're just going to open up. Yeah. <laughs> like well. we can't deal with being in our house right now, so we are going to risk our lives. Yeah, because there's go always going to be the people that stay and do what they're they're supposed to do, and there's going to be the people that are like, well, we have to go see what's going on out there. We have to go explore and find out if it really is dangerous or not i i think right here in the studio all these brick walls around us like i'm feeling safe AF. this would be a place i would hold up there's only well there's oh, a couple you. ways in but there's that in the window there we gotta, yeah. we gotta block out Board that window that but that's it just put the futon <laughs> up you're fine the we other gotta, side is pretty secure so really we only have secure. the window to worry about but then what what are we going to do? Just stay in here forever? Well, we have Wi-Fi. We can broadcast. We could tunnel to McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look. I'm going to be on vacation week after next again. I'll be up north where I was when mm. we did the kids episode last right. year. Yep. That's where I'd go. Uh, I, Northern I, Maine. That's weird to border. me that you go there on vacation. <laughs> I would only it's go like, there to survive oh. a zombie outbreak. No, you want to see yeah. the most potatoes you've ever seen. <laughs> but nobody there's like can one good me. Chinese nobody food restaurant me. and that's nobody it. Nobody can, literally everything is shut down. This is this. No one can find me here. And you just said, like, I could just go eat potatoes oh, in my front yard. I think people could find you here. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> a dead bolt. I locked it. That's one of the problems. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, there have been a few people that even today have darkened my doorstep here at this space. <laughs> Darling, you got to let me know Should I stay or should I go If you say that you are mine I'll be here till the end of time So you got to let me know The Amusement Park, 1973, unseen, seen by some, but unseen by most, been sitting on a shelf 
since then. This was actually filmed for a, a PSA announcement by uh, the Lutheran Service Church of Western Pennsylvania. For some reason, hired George Romero, who at this point had made Night of the Living Dead, and I believe he had made Season of the Witch, and then made the amusement park. And I was watching a, a bunch of interviews with, with Romero, and this movie has only now come to light because somebody discovered it sitting in their vault and gave it to Romero and his wife, who now runs the George A. Romero Foundation out of Pittsburgh. And so there was a sort of a collaborative effort between the George A. Romero Foundation and Indie Collect to restore this movie. They didn't have the negatives. It was a really tough thing to do from what I understand. And now this is an exclusive on Shudder, or you can watch if you have Prime with the AMC add-on or Prime with the Shudder add-on, or you can catch one of the many screenings that are available now that are going on uh, in real life around the country as we get back to the movie theaters. So this movie, I thought, was one of the most powerful Romero movies that I've seen and the, the the tell that it was originally supposed to be some sort of like educational public service thing is that it begins with an elderly gentleman who says he is 71 years old and this is all about basically awareness of elder abuse and the movie begins with a, an older man who's visiting an amusement park and is expecting to find uh, a good time. I guess the things that you find at an amusement park, he is uh, confronted by a man who looks suspiciously like himself, who tells him that, no, there's no fun to be found here. In fact, there's nothing outside. You shouldn't go out there. But nevertheless, he ventures out into the amusement park. And so this movie is his experience in the park. And to me, this was one of the most disturbing horror movies we've ever watched. I really thought that this was, especially as a, as a middle-aged person now who uh, is on this like tour of uh, funerals and memorials for people who were uh, live only just uh, yesterday or the day before they died, um, I thought that this was really, really powerful and really sad. And I thought, I can see why maybe it was a little bit too powerful for the PSA. Apparently, uh, George Romero has never mentioned this film to anyone or had never until it was uh, brought to his attention, which was only 2017. Somebody sent this to him and his wife, Susan. She says that he never mentioned this movie to her in their entire marriage. He's never mentioned it in an interview. Now it is available for everyone to see. And I thought it was amazing. I don't know, I'm getting the feeling maybe you guys didn't like it as much as me. But I thought that, I mean, if you're looking for a horror movie, this is as horrible as it gets. Kevin, what did you think of this? One of the most difficult watches I've ever had in my entire life. I mean, like you said, this was commissioned in in 1972 or so so we're well like four years removed from night of the living dead but we just talked about how the copyright problem stripped romero of making any money off of night of the living dead so you just made one of the most seminal movies you're out there looking for work somehow the lutheran service society of western pennsylvania commissions you to make a movie about elder abuse for $37,000 and you're at the height of your like creativity you're like I just made Night of the Living Dead I'm going to kill this movie and he goes in and makes it 
and they watch it and they're like, yeah, this is way too fucked. We're going to shelve this. Um, I watched this with my daughter who was 12 and she said, dad, why are you watching this? It's one of the most upsetting things I've ever seen. I would agree. This, I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying it's one of the most upsetting things that I've ever watched. If Romero was going for, hey, you want me to show you what elder abuse is like or what it's like to get old and be treated in America? Here's what it's like. He fucking nailed it. Everything we talked about on Night of the Living Dead that he nailed, and, and we I think we only scratched the surface of what he was getting to for society and how people interact, he... Put, a, put an atom bomb on the amusement park. It's really, really hard to watch. Uh, for me, like around the time he gets to the girl reading The Three Little Pigs, mm-hmm. I am decimated. <laughs> so I'm not recommending this movie by any means, but understanding where Romero was coming from, what he was tasked to do, and where he was in his career, I think it's an absolute highlight. While I think it is absolutely important to bring awareness to elder abuse (laughs) and the mistreatment of older folk (laughs) uh, within our society, I I don't think I'm ever going to want to watch this film again. I don't think I really need to. Um, It was... It was repetitive in that terrible, terrible things kept happening to the older folk. And I just didn't want to see it anymore. Uh, Basically, like younger people just taking advantage of them, you know, brushing off their problems, you know, cutting in front of them for health care and, you know, yada, 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 things like that. I wouldn't say it was a fun watch, if I'm being quite honest with you. I definitely say it was a major bummer. Um, and I did tear up when he was reading that book to that little child. And he's like, don't go, don't come back. I'm just like, what the fuck? And it's like, a, it's a less than an hour long movie. You know what I mean? But it just like destroys you. Um, I thought the looking into the future scene, you know, with that fortune teller was very interesting but like so weird so jarring such a weird place to put it yeah just like i was i was confused as to what was kind of happening i was like okay so these are the people in the future and then that guy got real aggro which came out of nowhere i was like i'm sorry you're pissed that you get old one day i really don't know what to tell you um but i think using an amusement park as the representation of all these different aspects of one's life was very interesting um and you know to do it as well as like my favorite part i think was the ending because you understood the intro because i thought the intro was a very confusing moment i'm like why why are they using the same guy why is one beat up and the other one's like pumped about going out um so i thought that was nice that they you know then i was like oh okay now i get it full circle situation so depressing because does it keep happening is it just a constant you know circle i don't know it was just a very odd psa about being nicer to old people but uh lucky for me i'm gonna be young forever so i don't really have to worry about this congratulations thank you yeah that's my plan 
My problem with this movie is that I have gigs like this. Like, he comes off the big movie, and suddenly, like, why is he making a movie for the Lutheran church (laughs) in this small town? Like, why is he doing that? He's doing it because he's trying to get by, and the fact that he never told anybody about this movie. He never told his wife about this movie. Like, I have projects like that that I did (laughs) for, like, $600 or $1,000 because, you know, like, oh, this rich guy that owns this bowling alley got an inheritance and he wants to write a musical. And, like, yeah, I'm there for that. (laughs) He's paying me. You know what I mean? And that's what this movie was like. And the fact that it came out post-mortem, this is a horror movie for George Romero. This is his biggest fear. This movie's out there now. This was, you know, although I think he understood the assignment maybe too well. Yeah, they caught somebody at their, like, peak. Right. and That was not being allowed to, like, let out his creative juices. Yeah, I mean, and he did a great job. Like, this reminds me of, like, Wayne Coyne from The Flaming Lips having a bad trip at, like, Coachella or something like that. Uh, he had like the white suit and the gray hair and, and then the I blood. I love that. He had a Colonel Sanders and the blood. Yeah, he, he had a little <laughs> Colonel Sanders vibe. Um, <laughs> I thought this movie was bold and it was weird and it was art house. Um, it was very like 70s art house horror. Um, and I like that. And it to me, it says a lot as to like where Romero was at and what he was doing to get by as a filmmaker and an independent filmmaker. And I respect that. I respect, you know, that, that that's what he was doing and that he got in touch with something so personal when he did that. So I, I think it's cool. I don't know how George Romero would feel, though. I don't know. I mean, he would. Well, he saw it. He saw it before he died. Oh, he did. It, I, yeah. I thought it just came out. It was like. It, it wasn't resurfaced. released until after, but he it was given to him and his wife before he died. And he liked and that's it. when they started restoring it. I don't know what he thought of it. Right. Well, I mean, he went all in on it, for sure. I mean, um, considering, like, I don't know what kind of budget, you know, this uh, church had, you know. but 37K. Like, I mean, I think that's impressive. Like, the, I, I just, I feel like this was so affecting. And, you know, I mean, maybe you guys might, might not all understand Cat, you're looking from your that. face. I can tell that you don't understand. <laughs> looking from your face. Cat, you know, you're and, looking and that's from fine. your face. You know, like you're still dealing with the things that seem like they're they're big to you now. But like the narrator of this movie says, quote, one of these days a door will open in your life and you will step into the amusement park. And mm. everything that happens to this character as he's going through the amusement park all of those things are going to happen. I understand to you. that. I understand. You know I, I mean? did think this was terrifying because was, of that. Yeah, but yeah. who wants? That's why like, it was upsetting. Yeah, it's it's almost and a twelve-year-old. Like I was watching it with watch, a twelve-year-old. Like, to feel like this? Yeah, I was watching with a twelve-year-old, and she was yeah, like, "That's inappropriate. This is upsetting me a lot." <laughs> that's inappropriate. <laughs> well, you could say that about every movie that we watch. I mean, who wants to, <laughs> to feel like this? Uh, this is just very depressing. And very. as the time passes, it, you know, it just even even children have a concept of uh, like yeah. the time is passing. <laughs> I mean, you guys have uh, older parents now. You you see the ways that it is this they're stepping into the amusement park. Maybe that's why it's like too horrifying. Um, but I I have rarely seen um, pictures of 
you know, older life and, and the, the devaluing of, of older life in America. And I thought, again, it was very relevant to the COVID era. We have seen the suffering that I think isn't reported as much over the past year and a half because we've had like over a half a million people die. Uh, I think one of the more underreported and under considered sufferings that have happened in the pandemic is what has happened to older Americans who are and older people all over the world who are uh, have have not even been allowed to see other people. And that's kind of a big part of this in the intro. It talks about the value that that people get in just participating in life. So we've we've told an entire segment of our population that they cannot participate in life for going on. It's going to be two years now, pretty soon, the way uh, the looks of it. We've told people that they can no longer participate in life. They have to stay shuttered away uh, in this room. They're literally not seeing people. You can't see your family. I mean, many have died looking through a window. So I felt like that gave it a little bit extra, you know, a little extra relevance to today when, you know, we know for a fact that so many people are going through this or they're being housed away. And even in the best of times, I think that happens. They're in the white room. Yeah. We put them all in the white room. Well, right. no, I, was, I was actually right. thinking about the white room being like safe. And one thing I wish this movie had was I wish uh, like every 10 minutes he shit his pants un- uncontrollably. <laughs> Like that that was one been, thing it didn't do, yeah. Yeah, that True. would have been like really realistic, especially in that white suit. <laughs> Just every like and piss himself and like you lose control because that shit happens too. And that's the only thing the bodily functions breaking down. This was all about society affecting him. But you also at the same time have the bodily functions breaking down, which is body horror. It was, mm-hmm. it was the ultimate original body horror is getting old. <laughs> It yes, was it was exactly. really impressive yes. with the signage in the park. Oh man! How like you go to an amusement park and you're like, oh, twenty five cent hot dog or, you know, a dollar game. But no, it's like, enter here if you're old or here for health insurance or I like love the, first aid. the dude peddling peddling oh, tickets, God. but he's also taking. Uh, he's pawning he's all their pawning all of their valuable yeah. items. Five bucks a piece. Uh, <laughs> but for me, the bumper car scene. Oh man! Was where it really took like a big nosedive, yeah. and I started to feel it really hard. That's when I understood what was happening. Exactly. Yeah. The Must not car fear scene. the unknown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To go on this ride. Must be worth however many dollars. Thirty-seven hundred dollars. Must a not month have. Or and there's like, a list of ailments that like any old person would have. Yeah. So you're you're excluded from society. You're excluded from participating in like normal things that everyone else thinks are fun was it was it in the intro or did i read about that all the old people were volunteers almost everybody in the movie was a volunteer the only actor probably from I the think church name, probably all from that hold on is uh lincoln mazel yes he was the guy that did Sounds like right. the whole like because so it opens up with him in a park just talking about right. like so you know you're in for like sort of like a psa and then he also plays the older person that goes into the white room and goes into the amusement right. park I and experiences everything. Yes. Okay. Good. I'm glad you did. We're talking about it. Um, his performance is fantastic. I think everybody else in the movie was a total volunteer. 
Yeah, I think they they mostly were. And he was in uh, Martin, the next George Romero yep. movie oh, that he made. Yeah, and that's not available anywhere like right rom-com. now. It's like rom-com. You can't even... No, it's about a young vampire or a young man who thinks he's a vampire. You can't find it. I think it. it's a rom-com, though. I think it's like a Is funny it? kind of thing. It's not available anywhere online right now. You can't rent it. You can't watch it on YouTube. Kind of one of those that's... I, I think it's um, licensing hell or something. I mean, mm, Dawn yeah. of the Dead is still not available outside of YouTube either, so I'm not sure why, but he was in Martin. And you mentioned, Trent, like, like Season of the Witch came out. He had done Night of the Living Dead. 73 is also the year The Crazies came out. Yes. Which right. is a great right. Romero flick. It is great. And I the, think remake, this was the between, remake is great yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think Romero was just desperate for work, which is so sad to think about now. But in 68, the crazies early 70s. Is like, in his catalog, it's one of his best zombie films. I like The Crazies. Yeah. It's essentially a zombie it's yeah. refined. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's where like the the army did it thing came from, which Russo would again go to to do for the return of the Living Dead franchise. But yeah, it was started with the crazies with Romero. I mean, he was on fire. It, it and I think I honestly think the amusement park was him being creatively starved and giving this random bullshit task by a Lutheran church, and he was like. I'm going to use all my pent-up energy right now and make this fucked-up 53-minute PSA for you. This is metaphorical, but the Lutheran Church calls me every day to do gigs. (laughs) Every day? They do. (laughs) It's always some weird, like, you know, a a collaboration that some weird place, like, yeah, you sing a, a record about burritos. And then we sell burritos, and then that's the deal. Like, I don't know. Like, the it sounds so weird that a church would reach out to someone like George Romero. In every scene of this is heartbreaking, but I, I particularly thought that the, the grocery shopping scene where he he goes grocery shopping, and he has, like, these bags of stuff, and he just he can't carry all the bags. Yeah. So he just leaves the bags there they fall over and he like takes a couple things and he's just trying to go feed his other old friends who got turned away at the restaurant is all he's trying to do but he can't even do that everyone's always thinking he's a pedophile too they're always shunning him he's always like trying to help out kids yeah i don't know what was up there he was like what you guys want to come over here and have some some peanut butter (laughs) it's kind of gross yeah and a guy like he's just like sticking his fist in the peanut butter like that was powerful that was powerful because that leads up to the three little pig scene where he finally has a little girl that's like, will you read me this story? And I love Romero's shot. It shows how good of a director he is where the mother is behind the scene all the time, but blurry. And it shows him and a little girl reading the book and the mother immediately starts packing up everything mm. and she never looks over. Like she's so dismissive that she's like, I won't even look over there. And all those scenes are fantastic, but the the meal scene where the rich guy sits down to eat and he is immediately like cartoonishly handled by everybody and our main character sits down to eat and he gets like beans and whatever, beans and bread or that, something. That's what it was like when I told you I pretended to be a, a food reviewer 
I went to a restaurant, and me and my daughter pretended to be food reviewers. Then all of a sudden, we were treated like royalty. <laughs> and everyone else was shunned. They got, they got like whatever that was, chili and french fries. And then we were having lobster, mm. and they're bringing all the nice stuff over. But they do that scene, and it's, it's so powerful where he is encouraging all of the other older people to come over and take some of his meal. And the rich person that has been, again, cartoonishly catered to actually has them pick his chair up and bring it around the table so his back is to so our main character. So he doesn't have to see the old person eating. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then, and then they go immediately over to stop him from feeding the people that don't have a seat at a table and eating his food. And it's, it's gross. It's like it, it, it that scene did for me what poop does for me. It made me want to puke. <laughs> well, I, you know, I was kind of hoping at some point that this old guy would just get his hustle on and figure out the game and, you know, start getting does. one up and mm-hmm. he just gets kicked mm. down every time. Well, there was maybe one scene where he maybe had the upper hand for a minute when he watches the young couple go into the fortune teller. They really want to see what is in store for them. And the fortune teller makes a, a very clear point about if you're going to look, you have to see it all. You have mm. to look at everything. You have to see it to the end so you, you know where it's going to go. And she shows them to each other as very old, abandoned, <laughs> totally uh, uh, marginalized senior citizens. The wife no is healthcare. running through the street. No health care. No health care. Can't trying to get the doctor on the phone. He doesn't want anything like to party? do with them. Yeah, yeah. He's, 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 he's like a doctor party. He's like checking out people's ears and shit. I'm like, what are you doing? Chasing down buses. Uh, and and uh, I, I felt like, you know, that was the one moment of like, yeah, you'll be here. You know, uh, this is not just me. You're going to experience this as well. Uh, and then finally, the the last part that I I thought I mean I, I I thought this movie was better than a lot of Ramiro movies. We talked about the fact that not all of his movies are great. Later era Diary of the Dead, Survival of the Dead. I didn't even think Land of the Dead was that good. Really, I didn't see any of that. I thought this was better than all of those. To me, this is just a much uh, better made film and, and more affecting. But when he he finally after this whole trial, you can kind of see how it goes here it's kind of one incident after another of being abused and and marginalized as an elderly person in you know in modern american society but he gets to the place where it says like senior citizens welcome yeah he's psyched Uh, encouraged and he's like oh my god finally a place for me and he goes through the door and somebody just shoves him into a room physically shoves him into a room with a bunch of like disabled people who are not being cared for and there's like some walkers there and like this is the end Mm. and you know that's the end for a lot of people uh especially as a a childless dad that will be more likely the end for me at least dave and kevin you'll have uh kids looking out for you maybe i'm just going to be shoved in there nobody's going to care at all cat yeah i'm just we we will direct our kids to take care of good for you no i'm hoping that my nephew likes me enough later in life that like somebody (laughs) will come to my rescue but that's another thing to think about is that there are some people that have kids for that specific reason yes they want someone to take care of them when they're older which I think is probably like the shittiest thing I, that you I could think ever. That's a pretty good reason. Bring, I mean, okay, <laughs> I guess 
for you, yes, but for bring for deciding to bring another life into this terrible, god awful uh. planet world that we're living on, maybe not the best idea. Um, but yeah, I'm. I there are a lot of screenings of this like going on. Like there was one at Bunker. I think you know while we're recording actually right now. Uh, I can't imagine watching this movie with a room full of people drinking beers and stuff just like woo (laughs) you know like i know this is like a watch it alone in your apartment just staring at the screen which era i'm curious cat um which era do you think would have been better to bring life into the world like before medicine or during the 50s like when when would be a good era to bring kids into the world that would have been better than now better than now um the 70s when you didn't need seat belts you could just roll around (laughs) in the back seat (laughs) (laughs) i'm just trying to identify because this comes up a lot we when we sure you know about how childless and alone yeah sure no no i just mean like people always say like oh how could you bring kids into the world now and we talked Uh, about this in a a quiet place Mm -hmm. i'm just like i'm trying to think of a time maybe the paleolithic era like when would be a good time to bring kids into the world as opposed to now where it's a bad time where people live longer than they've ever lived in human civilization and you have you know when you needed people to like farm your crops probably was the best time to bring well, children into the time, world but yeah. that's kind of like saying to take care of you the you vitch the vitch yeah. listen yeah, but then people could like trade you for a goat Moral and make you plow the field and shit like that. Yeah, like, that's a, that doesn't that. sound good. That's yeah. more utilitarian. Moral than... of the story is, I don't think personally it would matter what decade I was in. I would say I would never have a child. Gotcha. So not that I don't well, think yeah, you guys I... are doing a great job over here. All right. <laughs> Let's not, you know. But personally for me, um, maybe if I had grown up in a different way, I would feel differently. But um, I was... Uh, I'm done talking about this now. Well, hey, I, <laughs> have I had kids? I, I mean, I, no. I agree with you. I, I'm a person who also has not. Are we going to have a pact now, too? So me and Dave have well, the suicide pact. Well, I think it's pact. a little late. Don't you think <laughs> we that, have the, the timing of these You think right I'm going to have kids? <laughs> we kill each other. Yeah, I wasn't, you can't have the suicide pact while cats practice. <laughs> it's not. It's a homicide pact. Sorry, to be yeah. Clear. Do you yeah. think that I'm still looking to have children now at my age? I mean, I, I made don't. the decision long ago. Golf I wasn't flirting. I wasn't questioning your decision. <laughs> I was just, you know, saying I don't. I don't know if it's a matter of like what era. You know, the feudal era probably su- wasn't a great time. Fetal, I suppose. Fetal. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, my mom's never going to listen to this podcast, so it doesn't Fetus. matter. Fetus. Certainly not this far into this episode, no. I wouldn't think. <laughs> I ask her every time I see her, I'm like, Mom, have you listened to my podcast? She's like, well, you know, I've been really busy with work. I'm like, you're never going to listen well, to my podcast. Well, that worked really well with your sister. Yeah. You told her to listen to the podcast, and then she heard you talking shit about her, and then... <laughs> and then she was like, I don't want to listen to it anymore. <laughs> I brought the cheese puffs because we've been talking about George Romero for a while. And this is the first time we've been all in the same room for a while. Yeah. And so far, no technical difficulties. Cross our fingers. Oh, but Trent, would you like a, a cheese ball? 